Ali Mayarif Asakriyashwe, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is Arabic for whoever doesn't know an eagle, grill it. Oh my gosh, that's brutal. It is apparently what you say when someone is trying to intimidate you, kind of like you don't know who you're dealing with, uh, because of course an eagle would never let you grill it if you tried. By grill it, do you mean like stick it on a grill? I think so, yes. Okay, it's not like some other, because that sounds, I didn't know that they were so into grilling things there, but I guess that makes sense. You just put it on like a hot rock most of the year and it probably just grills. Uh, lots of intimidation going on as the championship heats up. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I don't have to host the show this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sweating like I usually am when you're gone. Life is good. Good to have you back, buddy. Thanks. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, very cold this morning. Mm. Went to bed. It was a mild night. Left all the windows open because oh, no. got to do that in this top floor. It dipped down like... 30 overnight and i am just like freezing now it is woke up with frost on your beard yeah uh thank you guys for filling in another uh another great job with a an action-packed yeah (laughs) you know you know know skipping all the boring ones eh? i'm sorry uh if, if you are new to this podcast a very warm welcome to you and if you are new to formula one itself boy you picked a great year to start um, but if you know nothing about it, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason prior primer assumes no prior F1 knowledge. Never really <laughs> figured out how uh, much of a tongue twister that was before. No. Um, but it explains how the sport works and who everybody is. Uh, this year's primer is episode 137. If you'd like to go back and listen to that, also this show, this show is supposed to see I'm out of practice now. <laughs> that's a, that's a one I relaxed week and it's... too much. Exactly. <laughs> um, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, uh, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What is going on this month, Danny? Uh, Yeah, we're going to cover the first season of the Michael Fassbender Road to Le Mans uh, series. It's a web series. It's all available to watch for free on YouTube. They're currently in their third season. It's uh, it's quite good. Michael Fassbender, in case you did not know, is an Irish, would you believe, actor. It's very sort of Germanic accent, Um, but uh, he he was... uh, he grew up in Cork in the southwest of Ireland. Um, Irish actor who is very famous and likes to race, which is something that has come up a lot in our conversations on Shift F1 over the years. The many um, uh, uh, famous people, famous uh, uh, actors who like to race. Uh, but they did a great series with him. It's been over the course of uh two three i guess this is the third year because this was 2019 the first season um so we're gonna do that one uh i put my hand up i forgot thanksgiving was the last week of the month so this one's going to technically arrive on december 1st so apologies for the little delay november patrons um but uh we'll have that one up uh uh, soon enough and we'll have some skullduggery in december as well of course and then uh, it'll be a whole new patreon season again starting sort of january toward as we move towards pre uh pre-season so we'll, we'll be throwing out some new ideas on the patreon doing a little bit of a refresh and all that good stuff um 
But I uh, also want to thank all of our terrific title sponsors, Jason Kelly, Will Rumpf, Umberto Roca, Troy Stammer, Circuit Demon, Vax, Max Voltar. Sorry, not Vax Maltar, as I almost said. <laughs> Reagan, Sniggs, Joe Roberts, Abraham Getchell, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foote, BPM, Drew Stewart, Simon Villeneuve, David Mule, Josh Haynes, Tractor Share, Gnarly Goat, Iron Station Studios, Erica Siegel. And Pyrite's Card Castle. Get your cards there, I guess. I think they have F1 cards. Now I'm just doing an actual commercial. Uh, <laughs> thank you all. I am very interested to see what happens next year once we uh, once we, we move on. How many of our titles will stay, our sponsors will stay? Will it be like Mission Winnow, where we're not quite sure if they're going to stick with us next year because the contract's <laughs> oh, up? Oh, wow. Who's the Philip it, Morris I, of our backers? I'll, it's probably Circuit Demon. I mean, like... <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> circuit Demon. No, I'm not saying that Circuit Demon, you know, sells products that kill millions of people. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they're, they're probably the cash cow. Uh, we still also have that amazing bottle of Daniel Ricardo wine, which uh, they sent us. You which, guys should uh, we'll drink it, because I'm not getting out there anytime soon. Yeah, I it's looking... Hopes. Yeah, we'll have to, like I, I said, like, we'll, do- we'll doggy we'll, bag you yeah. a shot. <laughs> Put it in like a little. Imagine like when when like the post office opens up a vial of blood. It looks like this rich ma, rich rich red mahogany blood sitting in a vial. We should definitely do that. Um, but yeah, thank you all for supporting us over on Patreon. dot com. It's how we can keep this ad free, except when I go off script. <laughs> uh, well, let's get back on the script, everyone, for Qatar. Um, qualifying had not just the impact of setting the grid but uh had more lasting impact especially in the news cycle as the week wore on so let's just get into it uh hamilton on pole but going into the final runs of q3 he was ahead of verstappen by a tenth he on his second run bettered his time by another half second but right before everybody else could set their second time Pierre Gasly got a puncture in the final sector when his front wing struck a curb and he ran over it. Uh, So he had to pull over on the start-finish straight, causing some yellow flags to come out, which means that drivers entering that area behind him, like Verstappen and Botas, were obligated to slow down. But neither of those two slowed enough, and both earned grid penalties. Botas, because he passed the area when a single waved yellow was uh, waved, and Verstappen penalized five places because by the time he got around, there were double-waved yellows. Uh, by the way, a single-waved yellow means danger, so slow down, while a double-waved yellow means, I think, a blocked track, so slow down a lot and be prepared to stop. Um, uh, Racefans.net uh, went into more detail here, uh, saying, quote, In effect, there were two different yellow flag events. The first began when Gasly damaged his car and was swiftly cleared as he moved on from the crash scene. This signal ended 34 seconds before Verstappen arrived on the pit straight. The second flag was when the marshals began waving yellow flags to warn drivers that Gasly's car had stopped on the pit straight. The confusion arose as the recently canceled warning lights were not reactivated at this point, which also meant drivers were able to activate DRS at the exit of the last corner. So there's kind of two different things that go on when a yellow flag happens. There's the actual flags themselves. Um, and then there are the electronic 
warnings, which include light panels on the side of the track and a dashboard notification and a, apparently an audio signal for the drivers. I didn't I didn't realize that that was the case. But um, anyway, the, those electronic warnings were turned off after the first um, phase. Uh, but the flags then came back out. And that is when Verstappen um, uh, got the, the double waved yellow penalties. Um, of course, of course, Christian Horner has something to say about this. Uh, he attributed the double yellows in an interview with Sky to, quote, a rogue marshal. Wow. Uh, a rogue, just off, you know, sick of the system, just, mm-hmm. you know, beats to the, the, marches to the beat of their own drum. I'll wave whatever flag I want. That's right. What is this? Or the beat of one? Hamilton's drum. It's just like, no, I must, I've, I've got to be, I, I've got to block for Lewis. Right. Uh, anyway, race director Michael Massey did not like Christian Horner saying that, saying this from Autosport, quote, I will defend every volunteer official and every official around every racetrack around the world uh, and stress that that is not accepted, meaning criticism of individuals like this. Yeah. Uh, Massey, <laughs> as is his power referred horner to the stewards nice who then issued him an official warning um horner then told sky quote my frustration in what i voiced earlier wasn't at marshall's it was at a circumstance so if any offense was taken <laughs> oh by oh any God. individual oh my favorite phrase in the world the classic apology <laughs> yeah go to the headmaster's office christian if uh, anyone, that's my favorite phrase in the entire world if anyone if anyone was offended mm-hmm Um, he did offer to participate in a two day stewards seminar in 2022. (laughs) Yeah. He wants to be paid for it though. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like that's, you can't be doing that. That, that, you know, that opens up a whole can of worms. We don't want to, we don't want those people getting targeted in any way or, or any responsibility being put on them or, or even like create them as an actor within like, they're very, I think F1, you know they're they're very anonymous. The only time I can ever really remember there being any, you know, uh, conversation around one in particular was the Grosjean stuff, mm-hmm. um, where they celebrated those two marshals that uh, Stewart sorry that that ran across the track and and marshals marshal sorry, um, season one man I'm still doing it <laughs> mixing up my marshals <laughs> and my Stewarts, um, yeah so yeah I agree it's it's silliness. Um, some other interesting stuff about quality. Can I talk about some of the backfield? The Q2, sure. Q, yeah, yeah, Q1 stuff. Um, uh, Giovinazzi, first of all, had an absolute stinker. I mean, so did Raikkonen, so maybe the car was in it. But uh, I was keeping a very close eye on the McLaren-Ferrari situation because obviously they McLaren have been off the pace in the past two races and a lot of that was in qualification. Um, Ricardo had another poor week. He just has not had the pace in quality, quality uh, or arguably in the race since his win. Um, it's been like a very, we all sort of thought that he might have crested that hill. Um, and it seems like the opposite has been the case. Uh, Norris qualified in sixth. And then obviously, I think that he ended up being in front of, uh, yeah, he, he pr- got promoted up to fourth as a result of those penalties. Um, uh, so he qualified ahead of signs, but then uh, Ricardo was in 14, but Leclerc ended up having an absolute terrible qualification. And, and, was was very confused in the post quali um, interviews because he had always seems to have a sense of what's wrong with the car, uh, you know, and he felt like it was all fine. And it it turns out that they had a crack in the chassis that was um, that nobody knew about, and that they spotted it 
uh, after quali and had it fixed for the race. And then during the race, I watched interviews with him afterwards. He was like, yeah, the car felt better. Like, so they're, they can't 100% attribute it to it, but his feeling was very much like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with the car. I usually know if it's like the tire or the balance or if it's me. And I nothing felt that wrong to you know account for the half a second they were off the pace or something um and then he was quite relieved to find out that it was likely the chassis um Ocon had another uh, terrific one and the big one was Fernando Alonso who ended up qualifying um on merit in fifth place uh, and then as a result of uh the penalties as I'm sure Drew will say in a second is in third for the start of the race and of course Gasly who's in second Yes. Uh, they've had a terrific week. Yes, Gasly on the front row, followed by Fernando Alonso, then Norris, then Sainz, and then those two naughty boys penalized um, for the yellow flags. Botas in sixth, Verstappen in seventh. Then we've got Tsunoda in ninth, Ocon in tenth, and then Sebastian Vettel, I'm sorry, Tsunoda in eighth, Ocon in ninth, and Sebastian Vettel in tenth. Sergio Perez in eleventh. Very surprising. Um, then we've got Lance Stroll in 12th, Charles Leclerc in 13th, uh, followed by Ricardo Russell in 15th, then Raikkonen, Latifi, Giovinazzi, Schumacher, and Mazepin. And before I forget about Daniel Ricardo, I don't think we'll talk about him much in the race, but uh, you mentioned um, him not doing well there either. Uh, apparently, there was an issue with McLaren's data that forced him to save fuel. Starting on lap one, Um, he says uh, in this uh, article on Formula1.com, we had a few things going on today. So already from lap one, I had some fuel warnings on the dash, which you don't get on lap one. So I ignored it because I thought, okay, it's just an error on the dash. But then quite early, I was told you need to seriously start saving fuel. Wild. Um, The fuel saving never seemed to be enough. So I was kind of thinking, what's the point of staying out? Because obviously there's an error and maybe we just messed up, but we're just cruising. Um, so I had to do that for the majority of the race. Then I was told no more fuel saving and push like crazy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, some 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 weird gremlins in the McLaren, um, kind of butchering his race. Uh, but let's get to the race, Danny. Do you want to take us through the start? Sure. Uh, lights out, and ultimately around that first turn, Hamilton has it fine, uh, and Gasly is holding on to second the real story of the first couple of turns is the opposite directions in which Verstappen and Bottas end up moving um Verstappen has a great start um is barreling his way up into the sort of like fourth position like he gets he he has a better start than Bottas he gets past signs pretty easily um he's basically with Norris and then as they enter the, the apex of turn two he's trying to get around the outside of Alonso um Fernando in the position he's in where he's trying to basically get a jump on Gasly and is also conscious of Norris, I don't think he even knows that Verstappen is on the outside to his right. So he kind of pulls out sharply. Verstappen reacts very quickly, um, kicks up a bunch of dust sand um, on the outside of the curb um, and and goes around and, and doesn't lose too much pace as a result of it, manages to get the overtake around the outside of uh, Norris. Uh, so he's basically in fourth uh, sort of proper now. Um, Bottas on the other uh, side had a wretched start. Um, he was gobbled up by the field. Um, there was a great uh, uh, 
a couple of videos. There was somebody who was there was a YouTube or a, a Twitter account that somebody suggested we we follow, um, which I'm going to try and find now. And they had a great video on what was wrong with Bottas's start. Um, uh, it's annotated wheel adjustments at annotated wa. It's a uh, they basically take the onboard cameras and give you like annotations as to what's going on, like lap by lap. It's really interesting. Um, And they saw that Bottas was basically not at his target revs when the lights went off. So that's why he just had a slow getaway. Um, It wasn't that his reaction was slow. It was just that he wasn't in the right rev zone. Hmm. Um, Yeah, so he ends up like getting pretty badly gobbled up. I think by the end of that lap, is he in, I want to say he's in ninth? Um, he started in sixth, uh, which I, I think, think I think eleventh is where he See, ended oh, up. Oh, that bad! Was. Yeah. yeah. So 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 not great. So when you're entering a race, where essentially we have a Hamilton in the front, we have Bottas ahead of Verstappen, who's able to cover him off. Granted, they're all pretty far back, but Verstappen's in seventh as they start, and then you have Perez in no man's land who can't help anyone. And then by the end of the first lap, you have Verstappen who is you know not nipping at Hamilton's heels, but he's getting close to it, and then suddenly Bottas is back with Perez. <laughs> so yeah so like an absolute nightmare of a turn of events for mercedes given how strong they were entering uh you know the start of the race yeah and perez is already past botas by uh by the end of the lap i think uh also fernando alonso does squeeze by gasly into mm-hmm. second place by the end of that first lap too um verstappen's then stuck behind gasly for a little bit uh who by the way gets a message saying quote max is not our race <laughs> which for the conspiracy theorists out there you know is it the sister team to red bull um but he's he's a big fan of max they've you know they've had they, <laughs> great great uh great history together that's well. true yeah not a lot of love <laughs> lost there um but yeah but they're all, Gasly, they're also not wrong you know what i mean like it especially and they were very everyone was very worried about tire wear here so I can see the arguments to like you know race fernando or or you know not race max but yeah, yeah also the conspiracy theory it's not hard to 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 touch there sure but ghastly i mean ghastly goes wide in any way on the final corner that allows right. uh verstappen to close up and get by with drs drs zone strong in qatar um Stronger one lap later yeah. yeah verstappen cruises by alonso on the straight so by lap five verstappen has made up five places and is chasing after lewis hamilton uh, back in the pack, the other Red Bull of Sergio Perez is also making up places, getting by uh, Ocon with DRS for sixth place. Um, and then Botas, who, yes, as you mentioned, Danny, lost all those places at the start, gets Tsunoda for 10th and almost gets Stroll in the same move, which was kind of exciting. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. All, we, by this stage, we had sort of come to understand that the place to overtake on this track, which we had all assumed as well, was was going to be turn one and that there likely isn't anywhere else and that totally ended up being the case but it was interesting to see him try and almost a, a you know two drivers on turn two it was like oh can you do that here and it's like no nah, not really <laughs> uh yeah by lap 16 botas is up to seventh place and perez is in fifth and going after norris um the other thing that's happening here is the soft tire runners are fading fast um it is hamilton Signs, Botas, Verstappen are the only ones on mediums. Everybody else, Gasly, Alonso, Norris, Tsunoda, and Ocon, um, and Vettel in the top 10 are on softs. So, um, 
Paris gets by Norris, no problem with DRS. And a lap later, Botas gets by the soft-tired Ocon for sixth, also with DRS. The exception here is, though, Alonso, who hangs it out there for a long time on the soft tires to try yeah. to go for a one-stop. Uh, he pits around lap 24, and once things shake out ahead of him, it's only Botas in third place on the medium tires who hasn't pitted. Um, and... On lap 29, Perez in fifth attacks Alonso and tries to go around the outside with the aid of DRS. He doesn't get it done there, but they go side by side for the next set of turns. Perez eventually squeaking ahead. There were a couple of these really nice back and forth battles in the turns. Uh, and then lap 33, you hate to see it, a puncture yeah. for Valtteri Bottas, who again has not yet pitted. Um, I thought it was one of the best races I've seen from him. Uh you know, <laughs> start notwithstanding, um, because it's always been like Hamilton that can can overtake people in the pack and not Botas. But here, maybe with the aid of that straight, he could, um, especially coming off you know Hamilton's masterclass in, in Brazil, right? But, uh, but it was it was not to be. No, and here you're also seeing the uh, you know his his laps were thirty five you know oh, sorry his tires were thirty five laps old at that stage right and here was the sort of confirmation of everyone's worries over the weekend, which was as they were going through practice, there was a lot of um, testing out the outsides of the curbs. There was a lot There was a lot of changes, actually. I watched uh, all the practice sessions this weekend. And um, between practice one and practice two, they changed uh, a lot of the track limits um, rules in relation to particular um, uh, curves. Uh, people were taking them pretty hard. The interior sort of rumble strips, as we called the red and white, ones um were normally sort of at f1 standard now which is that they're relatively flat but just on the outside of them in the green area there were these very sharp um bumps that if you take on an f1 car uh are not exactly especially with the rake everyone was going for here where cars were fairly low you could noticeably see it with like red bull for instance um that it was possibly going to cause damage we had i think it was mick schumacher somebody ate their own front wing because of this it basically got gobbled up underneath it um and the worry was not so much that they'd sort of figured out okay we don't want to put our cars over these that's that's fine and they're going to be watching a couple of the turns quite a lot i think it was turn seven they were keeping an eye on but the problem was what how are the tires going to fare with this because as we've seen in other uh high sort of you know graining uh circuits like this one hasn't been resurfaced since 2004 is that you can use a lot of grip but you also get a lot of uh different types of graining on it and then also if you add these curbs that are maybe going to nip at the tires are we going to have a tire failure like is the is the tire failure cliff on this one more disastrous than others and that was the first time it was kind of like uh-oh you know and suddenly everyone's ears pop up like oh no do we need to be more worried about this than than we should have um because yeah you could you could even see it right when he lost that with the rake on the car the the bot the bottoming out in the nighttime the amount of sparks that were flying up was was pretty remarkable yeah like but to me at least in quality in the early part of this race it seemed like a lot of the reservations around the curbs were like what we saw with the wing, right? Like where it's it's beating the hell out of the car and like the the attach points. But I feel like this just like 
because this is going to come up a lot now as we discuss the rest <laughs> of this race. Like, Bo- Botas is a canary dropping dead. Uh, soon the rest of the miners are going to go as well. Um, but it reminded me a lot of Baku, where Pirelli give the, gives those estimates, right, of performance wear. And, and Croft sort of cited this, where he's like, well, you know, Pirelli only, you know, their guidance for the tire performance is uh, like 30 laps on the hearts. And Brundle, I'm glad he did this, pointed out, no, that's just for performance, though. Like, the structure, like, the, the tires are not supposed to structurally disintegrate uh, just as a matter of course. We saw that happen at Baku, where you had, uh, you know, a couple tires, uh, most notably Max's, actually. I think Stroll was the other one uh, that started that started that straight, uh, just blowing apart um, as, they, as, as they went through. Which isn't supposed to happen, and here we had uh, Botas. Like his laps were good, like everything, everything was fine. It wasn't like the tire was getting shaky. It no. just, it just exploded. Um, and it's it it's funny because I don't think of this as a particularly, you know, at Interlagos, right? Just because of the way the uh, back and front of the track is constructed, you understand that, like. There's crazy loading on one particular side of the car, one particular like tire. You don't really think of it like this is a pretty standard uh, Tilka style racetrack in, in some ways. I don't ways. know. I, I, outside of one, like it, there's a lot of very high speed corners, one after the other, one after the other, with like no, there's no hard braking point. There's no slow turn in this entire track no. so i think there was a little bit of that's why i think it was more because i couldn't believe how fast this race was over <laughs> no that's true <laughs> like, a, and I, the, like they, I didn't uh, i'm saying i didn't appreciate how hard this thing was going to be until i started seeing the high speed cameras of turn one where you can see just how the outside tires are like oscillating wildly uh nice. as they as they load up on entry um and so like it does seem like this this combination of just some of the like crazy load at one part of uh, at a couple parts of the track plus uh yeah maybe the the beating these tires are taking from touching those curbs uh as a matter of course uh really started to pile up but either way it seemed like what what we saw was the it wasn't like tire wear estimates going wrong it was that the Pirellis like couldn't like survive at this track uh, yeah it was like it reminded me of like remember five years ago where we had like the cliff that those tires used to be on do you remember where where suddenly performance yeah. would just completely drop off and in the, car the space gets slippery, of half a lap. The tire remains intact but exactly yeah it, it kind of reminded me of that t- the, the mentality they used to have of like oh this can go wrong at any moment which i feel like we haven't really had in a while yeah but when that like you said like whether or not that was the case it's it scared the bejesus out of everyone i think when when that happened to to Bottas. yeah he eventually limps back to the pits and puts on a new set of tires and a new front wing but eventually retires from the race Uh, Lap 42 is a crucial battle between Perez in third and Alonso in fourth. Uh, Perez comes in for a new set of tires with 13 laps remaining, and Alonso stays out, taking over third place. But, you know, he's going to have to nurse his tires and cede a lot of time to the chasing Perez, Mm. uh, who himself will have to get through Stroll, Ocon, and Norris in sixth, fifth, and fourth. 
having come out behind them after his pit stop. It was exciting. Uh, they could not get Perez clear running at all throughout this track. So, yeah. like, you got to see Perez uh, on the attack basically the entire race because at no point did he ever cycle into an advantageous position. Like, he was only, like, he was only picking up positions on the track. Um, which is usually, usually like with a, a car, a front running car, like the Red Bull, they can do something where like you will pick up so much time on your laps that like you'll be able to get some stuff done in the pits, uh, just from the cycle here is every time he was staring at the backs of guys he'd seen before. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He also comes over the radio. Um, Alonzo does and says to his team, tell Esteban to defend like a lion. Team radio of <laughs> the year. Team, team radio of the year. Dying. Oh my God. I imagine Alonzo like pulling a sword out of his scabbard on, you know, a rampart of a castle and shouting, tell Esteban it, to defend like a lion. It was so extra because like, <laughs> he's not going to Fernando. Like, I mean, it's like one of those things. It reminded me of like, it, it was a little bit like sometimes when it's clearly not Valtteri's day and you have Toto get on, get on. It's like, get these guys, Valtteri. And it's like, your car can't pass. Like, maybe if it was Hamilton, it could. It certainly isn't going to pass the Valtteri. He's like, come on, this is your race. And it's like, I can tell you, it just isn't. I'm looking at the track. Like, Ocon wasn't on a strategy where he was going to be able to fight this off. And also his car was just way slower. It was yeah. great. Like I would feel like shit old. if it's yeah. like you gotta make you gotta make them work for this. But Alonso is like Alonso like, like he has like the little IOU from Hungary strapped to yeah. his wheel and he like rips it off and says, I died for you in Hungary, Esteban. <laughs> I I I made sure that you won that race. You need to defend I thought that was quite cool. Like it, it definitely played into the like if there's one thing, like, a lot of us who have followed F1 and Alonso sort of, like, you know, his returned career as it was, as he's come back, his ability to connect w- uh, with the memes, with to, like, to, to create stories around himself ever since he's sort of, like, come back and loosened up, I think is really interesting. And I think this was one of those moments where, like, he knows, like, oh, uh, you know, I'll... I'll I'll, I'll, I'm talking to I'm talking to the world when I say this. I get that because, like, of course, like, of course, he doesn't like who who needs to tell. It's not Ocon's race strategist he's talking to, you know. <laughs> um, so I thought that was that was pretty cool. And also, like, yeah, you're you're looking at this at this race, and and you know, by this stage, what is it? Whatever, we're in, we're in the lap forties somewhere. Hamilton has basically been dictating how far ahead he is of Verstappen this entire time. He's dropped back a little bit sometimes. At times, I think he had like a fourteen-second gap. He's he's coasting. As long as nothing catastrophic happens, he's fine. Verstappen's not going to catch him. But also, the two of them are like forty seconds up the road from Alonso, mm-hmm. who's holding on to third. And Alonso's battle is. Because of the strategy that they did and because of that early stint he put out, he's basically looks like as long as nothing crazy happens, Norris isn't going to catch up with him and uh, Ocon isn't either. So the only thing he has to worry about is Perez. And that's and they've known that since the start. Now, there was a great team radio earlier in the race where he said he reckoned that Perez was going to pit late for a fastest lap. That was his bet, was that like... If we go long here, at a certain stage, it won't make any sense. If we keep that gap, then then they'll basically, you know, he'll find a pocket and then maybe go for fastest lap, which wasn't really the case. They ended up just kind of doing that a little bit early, like you said, to try and, as Rob was saying, like they 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 needed to have another one to, again, try and get past everyone. But what we're essentially looking at is the first time Alonso's had a podium in, like, whatever, six years or something, seven years. So. Mm-hmm 
which if you were, you know, this is a world champion. He is somebody who was quite dominant um, for a number of years. So uh, it's exciting. Yeah, it, it doesn't take Paris very long to reach Okan, and then gets he gets by Straw on lap 46. Um, he's also on his radio doubting the, the two-stop decision. Um, but he eventually does reach Ocon on lap 47, and though there is an obvious speed mismatch, Ocon does do his best. He dives to the inside of turn one, forces Perez around the outside, uh, and uh, continues to fight Perez through the next few turns um, and makes a great comeback at the turn four hairpin. Yeah. uh, Himself trying around the outside, but Perez does end up keeping the position. So I, I'd say good, good stuff from Ocon. The underpowered yeah. car, but like he did everything he could. He fought like a lion. Exactly. 10 laps to go as well. And he could have like, you know, at that stage, you are managing tire wear, especially on a one stop. So like it was, it was cool to see him at least, you know, try and make Perez work for it. Yes. And the, the curbs are continuing to do their worst. <laughs> Lap 51, Russell is the next to fall victim from 15th place. And then his teammates a lap later, Nicholas Latifi in 16th, uh, pulls over as close to he could uh, after a puncture to a gap in the fence. But a virtual safety car comes out, which is huge news for Alonso. Having to nurse those tires, um, which again are in danger of exploding, apparently. Um, and uh, the race resumes shortly thereafter, but Perez does not have enough time to come back at Alonso, and the 40-year-old Spanish driver earns his first podium since 2014. Wild. Really but, cool. Yes, at the top of the podium is Hamilton, who pulled away at the beginning and didn't really look back. His team no. safely covering all of Verstappen's pit stops. I think by um, the end, he was like 30 seconds ahead of him as well. Yeah, Verstappen may have had some front wing damage that could have been detrimental, uh, yeah. but um, the, the pair of them still just blissed the field. Yeah, I mean, Alonso, I think, was a full minute behind Hamilton. So it was, it was like, it was outrageous. There was a lot of blue flags in this one. There was a lot of plus ones on the, the final sheet, plus twos. Yeah. Um, Hamilton, though, with his victory, cuts Verstappen's lead in the Drivers' Championship to just eight points with two races to go. By this stage, I we we are used to at least uh, I'm used to uh, Verstappen or uh, Hamilton already having clinched the championship at this point. So two races to go with no idea what's going to happen is very exciting. And, yeah, and then the constructors because Valtteri didn't finish and Perez got fourth. Yep, Perez helps Red Bull close the gap in the constructors to just five points behind oh Mercedes. Uh, which is, it's an impressive drive coming from 11th place. That's that's like the, the, that's maybe the most exciting thing too because we've had inter-team battles for the championship in the past few years. Right, we had Hamilton and, and, and Rosberg. We haven't had like a proper constructors battle for the title in mm-hmm. like a long time. So yeah. it's it's this and I and it's so crazy that we're going to this random cir- street circuit next. <laughs> Nobody knows. Norris was in a post race interview saying he's not even done it in a simulator. Like it's just who knows it's yeah what a weird weird thing yeah uh Ocon finished the race in fifth followed by stroll signs leclerc well done to him to come back from 13th into the points with that new chassis uh norris and vettel rounding out the points paying positions behind them Amazing. pierre gasly stroll, stroll, stroll started the race in 12th yeah so really terrific he can overtake uh. um pierre gasly uh 
falls just outside the points. Not a great race for him, despite starting on the front row. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo made it up to 12th. Then we've got Yuki Tsunoda, Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi in 15th place. Then Mick Schumacher, George Russell, um, uh, who's classified in 17th. Uh, Nikita Mazepin in 18th, and then Nicholas Latifi and Valtteri Bottas DNFs. Uh, Verstappen also scored an additional point for setting the fastest lap. So the standings then look like this. Max Verstappen is on top again by only eight points. Uh, 351.5 to Hamilton's 343.5. Valtteri Bottas is in third with 203 points to Sergio Perez 190. Uh, That's not outside the realm of possibilities. No. Uh, Lando Norris is in fifth with 153 to Charles Leclerc's 152. Yeah. Carlos Sainz. Another, another great ahead. week for the Ferraris. Sorry. No. Uh, or yes, but no for McLaren. <laughs> um, <laughs> Carlos Sainz is in seventh with 145.5. And a fair bit back is Daniel Ricciardo in eighth with the 105. Pierre Gasly in ninth with 92. Fernando Alonso now in 10th place with 77 points. His teammate Espano Khan is in 11th with with 60. Then we've got Sebastian Vettel with 43. Lance Stroll with 34. Yuki Tsunoda with 20. George Russell is in 15th place with 16 points. Then we've got Raikkonen with 10. Latifi with 7. Antonio Giovinazzi with 1. And then Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica, and Nikita Mazepin all with 0. Mm. But yes, let's get to the constructor standings. Mercedes is on top for now with 546 and a half points to Red Bull's 541.5. Boy, oh Ferrari boy. is in third with 297 and a half to McLaren's 258. That is a we- gap of what is that? 39 and a half points. Yeah, that's at this stage outside of a miracle Ferrari have somehow managed to clinch third place we had an email or two asking i think it was the primer where we talked about some of our expectations this year some people wanted rob to check out what he said about ferrari um i'd argue that we probably all said the same thing about ferrari this year (laughs) based on last year but crazy what a crazy turnaround for them really something else i i asked if rob thought that ferrari could get third not knowing myself and he said he said probably not, but um, they have surprised all of us. Yeah. To I be fair, I bought into their sandbagging. Like Ferrari set the bar on the floor before the season. Like Bonato mm-hmm. was like, "Oh man, I don't know. It's the things are pretty fucked." And I was like, "Yeah, they they are, <laughs> Mattia. You're right. They're they're pretty fucked." Uh, and so yeah, my assumption was like they were they seem to be setting up like we're basically going to punt and hope next year's better. Very much like the hot strategy. And I was like, "Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, they're done. Stick a fork in them." But Mattia, man, just you know, wheels within wheels, all the gamesmanship. Just low-key, quietly, uh, maybe a genius team principal. You know, let Mm. Christian and Toto, like, run rampant in the press. Matias Matias back there, just quietly throwing little hand grenades in the middle of conversation. Like, I think we should do reverse grid races. They roll. (laughs) And then then also quietly being like, prepare the new spec components. Tell no one. Did you see... 
did you see the uh the the photograph of him pretending to push over ricardo who was doing a a cycle of the track on uh, no. uh, thursday yeah there's like like a picture of him like jokingly like sabotage like trying to like injure ricardo like pushing him <laughs> off his bike with the two of them laughing i thought it was quite quite sweet uh alpine is in fifth with 137 to alpha Tauri's 112 uh what is that 25 points mm. Aston yeah. Martin's got 77, Williams has 23, Alfa Romeo has 11, and Gene Haas and team have zero. In our fantasy standings, which you can join using the link in the show notes, uh, from Qatar, uh, tied for second place, we have from Canada, Vroom Vroom Let's Drive, also from Canada, Gasly, Arrow, Horner, Arrow, Gengar. Hmm. And then uh, number one from the Qatar round from Indonesia, Bagas Team 3. Overall standings, though, in third place sit the Honey Badgers from the United States. Also from the United States, it's Turbo Time. And uh, number one (laughs) from Canada, Christian Hornier. Oh, nice. We It never occurred to me. Uh, we've all seen uh, I Think You Should Leave, right? I have, yes. I yeah. I have not, I don't think. Okay, Turbo Time is a very weird fucking reference from that from that, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, that like like with a lot of like with a lot of I Think You Should Leave things with their Dada esque comedy, you kind of just have to see it because mm-hmm. it doesn't it defies the logic of description. I should watch that. I didn't know Connor. O'Malley. I think I've seen some clips of this. I'm a I'm a big Connor O'Malley fan, so you should check that out. Eric, Eric Pope constantly uh, posts uh, screenshots and gifs. So if you're following Eric Pope, you'll, you'll get a, a good drip feed. Um. All right. Well, those are the standings. Shall we drift into the news? Let's do it. Uh, as the championship reaches a fever pitch, the gloves are coming off off track as well as on. Mercedes and Red Bull are basically trying to use every little thing they can to trip each other up. Um, there's some fallout from the Brazil still, of course. The move Verstappen made on Hamilton to push him wide. Um, I, I thought, first of all, that this was interesting. Um, I gleaned this from an Autosport article. The, the, the footage, the front-facing footage that we did not see during the race had to be downloaded from Verstappen's car post-race as only one feed from each machine can be broadcast live during F1 sessions, with the rearward-facing shot being active as Hamilton initially attacked at turn one. Just a little uh, broadcast technicality that I it's thought was It's not wild. So, I'm, yeah. so the, I, I suspect, is that because broadcasting multiple feeds from the cars is too much bandwidth yeah. from the cars? But that's crazy that they basically have a video switcher on the car. Yeah. That's like I never would have. I would have never thought that. But you got a little trackcaster in there. <laughs> yeah, just buried. In <laughs> <laughs> little Vinny Caravella. Verstappen has a big knob and he turns it whenever he wants it to be <laughs> the rear. Nobody wants to see this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this uh, incident was given a um, uh, a uh, it was passed over, I guess, by the stewards during the race. Um, no, uh, no penalties came of it. This was contested by Mercedes. 
saying uh, to the stewards, basically, like, you should go back and look at this because we've got new evidence. Now we have the, the front-facing camera. Um, and this, uh, again, from Autosport. Mercedes was allowed to play Verstappen's forward-facing video for the stewards in its attempts to argue its significance, presented in a side-by-side comparison with the previous lap, per the FAA document, uh, which is just, you know... It's, it's nice to know that basically what happens on Reddit is also what's happening behind closed doors. <laughs> um, but the stewards insisted that the footage, quote, shows nothing exceptional that is particularly different from the other angles that were available to them at the time, or that particularly changes their decision that was based on the original available footage, and therefore was, quote, not significant. Um, it's, what's, what's your what's your yeah sorry so uh, just to round this out uh, during yeah. the race the stewards quote had already decided that the available broadcast options sufficiently sufficiently allowed them to decide it was a racing incident under the quote let them race approach and that verstappen and hamilton should be allowed to play on i kind of i i don't like the precedent that this would set that they were going back and looking at this and going mm, actually um how did you Regard the incident itself. I thought it was egregious. Yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have handed him like a five second penalty. Do I? Would would you have been surprised if they didn't? (laughs) Well, I think handing them a five second penalty would have been consistent with other things. In my general feeling, I don't have like sources to cite here, but just I would have felt like, okay, I guess. I think you guys were right on saying that, like, Verstappen doesn't do this by accident, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that he was trying to turn his car and it just wouldn't turn, right? This is clearly intentional. Um, or he put his car in a position where it wouldn't turn. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or yeah, he, yeah. yeah he's an incredibly this, this smart is driver. What, they all are. Like, I hate the let them race shit because it's so self-serving, right? Like, let them race. And by that, I mean, let that let, let us operate under a framework that massively advantages one person in one position who can like step outside the outside the bounds of like fair racing. That yeah. drives me nuts. The fact that it's always like, you know, I just love classic good racing where you can't overtake because the guy in front could just put you into a fucking wall at any moment. Uh, I, I cannot stand that. It's yeah. uh, it's I yeah I think I, I like much like last week I don't I don't think I don't think ill of Max for this I think this is what happens this is what's going to happen if they're allowed to do this you know what I mean like he he obviously yeah. in the moment had a sense that this was his only option and something that was worthwhile in doing um, and he proved to be right um but like you I'm just yeah like I I I feel I have no horse in this race but I do feel like. It it seemed inconsistent with well, the way it. that I think that these things are penalized. Lando like, Norris just, even called out. He's like, "See, then I shouldn't have gotten a penalty uh, back at the Red Bull ring uh, right. when we were racing there." Which is a fair point because yeah. it's a really similar situation. And actually, like, it's Lando no, was way less egregious. egregious. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. this is this is the other thing. Like, why this is a bad precedent? I thought like those calls they were making at Red Bull ring were borderline but i could always defend them under their thinking of like just the health of the sport is we have to make overtaking more feasible and they assigned penalties based on that like 
it seemed to be assigning penalties based on that like framework. And here, like the most clutch moment of the championship, they're like, "We're not going to stand behind this framework. We are going to." <laughs> and Massey kind of ducks it. He's like, "You know, different stewards are going to interpret things differently. This is like beyond interpretation, right? Like the fact they didn't even look at it." indicates that like these stewards just adopted a completely different like standard of officiating than we've seen before and it wasn't down to interpretation they just saw this and then they were like eh, i'm not getting in the middle of that which i understand the impulse i also would have been like i do not want to be the person to be like max gets a 10 second penalty for fighting for the lead of a championship i don't want to be that person but if somebody's like hey can you officiate this race i have to be willing to be that person yeah. yeah, and I think the problem here boils down to the fact that the rules, in as they're written, are relatively ambiguous. And so, like you said, Rob, there are different stewards at every race, just like there are different, uh, you know, referees at uh, other sporting the events. Boxing fight, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> um, local commission, you gotta be, you gotta be careful on that overtake because they might, you know, might one, say one of say them ten eight round. Yeah, one of them though. Uh, there's three stewards, and one of them is always a driver which is interesting. Um, But there was a a driver conference ahead of Qatar where drivers sought clarity on moves like this. And Massey's stance, you're right, Rob, is basically that every move gets examined individually, but that doesn't set any kind of precedent, which makes some drivers uneasy. For example, Carlos Sainz, who says in this quote from Autosport, quote, I need to know if I can push the car on the outside wide. And what am I going to get if I do so? Do you have a warning coming if you do it twice? Do you actually have a possibility to do a couple times and then you get a warning and then you can do it a fourth time? Are you going to get a penalty straight away like in Austria? This is what we don't know as a sport or as drivers and we're seeking answers. Mm. We more or less got some from Michael Massey, um, but we know that sometimes Michael and stewards are not always the same. Uh, I think as a sport, we need to try and make it as black and white as possible. That's a good point. That like was, was what Max did completely fine could you do it lap after lap after lap or was it like was it a was it a do it one more time and you're in trouble that was it do it four more times to that point in f1 frequently you get one chance to execute moves like this so like you only have to like that was a weird case because like hamilton had such uh like wild speed uh throughout that which i guess we might talk about in a second but uh yeah it's the the thing is, I don't think it can ever be black and white. I think the dynamics of every corner, every situation, they're always there's always going to be a lot of like interpretation uh, when we're looking at these things. Like to that point about forcing a car wide, I think you should be forced to leave room. But I also understand that leaving room often means you have to cut your angle more sharply, which means you are going mm. to sacrifice speed, which now makes the outside move more powerful in comparison than it used to be. I understand all of that. I think like I'm in favor of just fully leaning into like. The standard should be if the corner can plausibly accommodate two cars going side by side, then the defending driver should leave that racing space. Um, and that should be the expectation. I think that's as black and white as you can get. And that's not going to be black and white in like almost 95% of situations I can <laughs> yeah. imagine where you get the overhead and it's like, well, what about the next corner? Like, because j- this race we just saw, um, forcing a guy wide in turn one. It shut them down completely because turn two, you're completely out of position for it and you're in the dirt. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand the need for clarity. There's never going to be. But, like, I think the officials needed to to, to, to step up here. 
Yeah, and my my final thought, I guess, bouncing off that is that the issue here that I find perplexing, and I think it sounds like the drivers do too as well, is that this one doesn't seem like it's in that grey area of leaving a little bit of space or not leaving that much space. <laughs> Every, he drove Hamilton like knows. 15 yards into the fucking <laughs> like runoff. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like, it, when you go back and watch the Norris one, like, as you said, at the Red Bull ring, it is like... It's black and white. Like, it's so ridiculously... Like, even if he didn't mean it. Yeah. Also, <laughs> what if like, Hamilton had just floored it and gone around him in the uh, in the, in the the tarmac there? Then what? Uh, he, I mean, he, he tried to, but he has to cut it for the next turn, right? Because the grass is there. He does, but I'm just imagining, like, what if he just executed the overtake out there? Like, outside Would the Would he be allowed? <laughs> well, he overtook on the... On the on the runoff area, and you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he would have. But it, yeah, it's, I think it's telling, like, you know, there's a... I think it's telling that so many of the drivers are asking questions about it. That's that's the thing. That's how you can see that this is not... This wasn't a particularly normal ruling by any standard. You know, even if you're a Verstappen fan, you kind of have to, you know... The monkey paw, one of the fingers curls in for this one. Yeah. Well, and they didn't... And there was no ruling, so they didn't look at it. That's the other, like... Uh, right, even yeah, if they'd yeah. said we'll let it go okay but they're like i didn't see shit <laughs> no i think <laughs> yeah, the driver stewart on that on that race weekend was pastor maldonado <laughs> uh f- the other flipping twice the other big contentious thing from from brazil was uh all this about rear wings verstappen touched hamilton's rear wing um which you know, <laughs> we, fine we are this close to uh, to Mercedes and Red Bull drivers doing "I'm not touching you" in Park Ferme uh-huh. for the rest yeah. of the season, <laughs> where it's like, ooh, just waving my hands over aerodynamic components. But Hamilton did get uh, disqualified from uh, qualifying after the race stewards discovered that uh, their rear, his rear wing, was open too wide by 0.2 millimeters. Mm. Um, Mercedes team principal Total Wolf claims that two screws came loose during qualifying, which caused damage to the wing, and that's what's that is what led to the discrepancy. Um, Red Bull though man. continues to point at Mercedes's rear wing. Horner claiming that Mercedes has quote score marks that supposedly lead to their straight line speed. Mercedes trackside engineering director Andrew Andrew Shevelin responded in this quote from Autosport. We've invited the FIA to look at it as much as they want, and they don't have any issue with what we've got. So nothing came of that. Red Bull, meanwhile, has its own rear wing thing going on. We've seen them in garages with tape and stuff, um, trying to fix the wing, and, and Perez's wing was flapping around a lot in free practice, too. I'm sure you saw, Danny. Mm. Um, so I think it's worth mentioning that, uh, again, as Autosport points out, that the actuator system was one of the parts that had its development frozen in 2021. So Red Bull can't change how theirs works. Right. Uh, they just have to repair it, which <laughs> irks Mercedes. Total Wolf doesn't like that they make such fixes under Park Ferme and thus claims Red Bull favoritism by the stewards. Which race director Michael Massey denies. So we are just we're in it, folks. This is this is what happens when the title is on the line. I love it. I think the and and <laughs> the passive aggressive responses from each team principal at each stage of these uh like uh, officiating decisions, it's it's terrific. Um please, Toto and Christian, like make it more about you. Yes. 
Yes, please. Uh, Danny, let's make it about Giovinazzi. Yeah, I think we might have touched on this last week. I forget, but um, I don't the, think we knew his destination last week. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we knew he was out because Guan Yu Zhou was coming in, but we didn't know. We thought he was going to Formula E, but it has been revealed that uh, Giovinazzi is going to the Dragon team, the Dragon Penske Formula E team, which I, I have not been tremendous. They they came second, I believe, in the first season, but they've sort of been at the bottom of the table uh, for for every year since. Um. Uh, he's he's sad to leave F1, says F1 can be ruthless when money rules, um, I think pointing towards the money that will come with having a Chinese driver um, in the seat next year. Uh, I think that's selling Guan Yu Zhou uh, short, to be honest, but, um, you know, he's... I'm he's sure second in the Formula 2 championship right now. Exactly, yeah. So I think it's, it's not that. It's not a Nikita Mazepin situation. Daddy owns the team. Um, I can act like a like a scumbag and still get my place. Um, I'd say it's maybe not only that. <laughs> yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, yeah, like there there is always an element of having, you know, I would say even with Alpha having an Italian driver was was part of this. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's always it's it comes with it, right? Um, but Many uh, he factors. will be exactly, and he especially with this much money, of course, it has to be. Uh, but. Uh, uh, he'll be joining Sergio Sede Camera, who joined their the team last year. Um, he's taking, I guess, Joel Eriksson's spot, but he was kind of filling in for Nico Müller, who left to concentrate on DTM around halfway through last year's Formula E season. So uh, Sede Camera is a solid driver, is good get for for Dragon, but they, like I said, haven't really been doing great. Uh, the thing about Formula E, though, is that you can often have um, teams, the sort of stock nature of it, you can't have teams jump pretty good uh season after season so who knows i i i'm excited if nothing else to see giovanazzi still driving open wheel cars he's a lovely fella people really like him he's a solid driver um you know i don't think i don't i don't think he's at that level where we've he this was a missed opportunity for him and he could have won championships or anything like that um and as we have seen with formula e i think at the start of formula e when drivers went there it was kind of a bit of a you know I wouldn't say an embarrassment, but definitely felt like much more of a step down than we think about it today. Like there are drivers forging uh, fantastic careers in Formula E who had, you know, very short careers in F1. Or some of them had long careers like Massa. <laughs> Maybe didn't have a great uh, season last year. Aren't uh, Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick DeVries testing IndyCars? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the DeVries one actually is, is, a, is a big one. Um He's somebody who also comes up as a he's he's one of the guys who was like right on the cusp of F he's just not getting in roads there, um uh an F one, but yeah, I think that's the case. And Stoffel, of course, was in F one for how many? Two, three seasons? Two seasons? At least two. Yeah. Unstoffable. <clears throat> we miss him. There's a lot of great drivers out there. I think like now more than ever, when you look up and down the grid, there are solid drivers. You know, more, in every team in F1. We need more teams yeah. on that grid. That's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hit the limit. What's the limit? 30? Let's do it. 30 <laughs> cars. Let's make them all do qualifying or pre-qualifying on Friday. I think that's going to come up in the emails, actually. <laughs> a Volkswagen group. You know what's cooler than one team? Four teams. <laughs> yeah, just do it. Let's go back to the wild 80s where you had, like, more teams turn up for a race weekend that could fit on the grid and have them all fight it out. That's what we need. Speaking of good drivers, 
Yeah. Rub. Uh, so Alpine have a new reserve driver. It's uh, Oscar Piastri, uh, the person actually leading uh, Formula Two. Um, this, you know, basically it's is clear sign, obviously conceding to reality, not going to be getting an F1 seat right away. Uh, but Piastri's comments on this, uh, that this is a stepping stone toward his goal of getting an F1 race seat, uh, in 2023. Uh, we'll see. Like it, it, it does seem like the next cycle of contracts, more spaces will open up. Uh, I'm not sure. How I'd be curious of the data about this. How secure a rung on the ladder in F1 is being a test driver these days? Like, hmm. well, he's a reserve dudes driver. Who, uh, sorry, reserve drivers, but like excluding dudes who like lose an F1 seat and spend like a year on ice, like Ocon style, and then get like tagged back in. I am curious, like, how sure a thing is that these days? Um, in this case, it seems like it's a pretty it, it's a pretty straightforward like path. Uh, he's just being kept on ice uh, a bit, but and he's part of the Alpine Academy, so like it it makes sense that like the next cycle he will he will get a seat. But uh, yeah, I am I am just kind of curious like how yeah how sure a thing is a reserve driver uh, gig. Yeah, that's a good uh, Alonso, Alonso's on a on a one year, right? He signed again for twenty twenty two. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe he'll hmm. retire. Uh, Piastri was also out there uh, defending Juan Yujo from the inevitable social media negativity. Um, so it was nice to see sportsmanship from the the guy who didn't get a seat. Right, favor the guy that did. Well, it's like this is going to be such a like I, I kind of dread this aspect of it because I think it's going to bring out some of the worst aspects of like fandom and uh, sinophobia that we encounter. Like, obviously, there are cynical motivations for uh, Guan Yu Zhou uh, getting that that seat. But like to the point you just made, there have always been cynical motivations about driver signing decisions. <laughs> like it has never been a meritocracy and you can look at this grid even this year and be like, run down the list of like other interests and other reasons people have these seats. So I think it's going to suck. Cause uh, yeah, I think, I think Ronnie Joe is going to be under a microscope and it's going to be like deeply unfair. Um, but there you have it. Uh, and Danny, finally, some good news here. Yeah, I wish I knew about this a couple of weeks ago. I could have stopped airplaying so much. But uh, F1 TV, the app, the website, it's finally on um, a bunch of uh, devices that aren't just your phone. Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Google TV set-top boxes all now support the app. So if you go to their various app stores, you should be able to download it onto your thing. What is connected to your television? Um, this was not the case prior. They had an app that was on predominantly phones uh i, I think, think it was on maybe ipad was it on roku wild um but yeah you used to always confuse me that it wasn't on apple tv and i used to air i airplay the races every week from my laptop uh, as a result so i didn't know this was the case apparently it happened around brazil so uh for the final two races at least you have one less button to press i guess uh, and you can check out apple uh, f1 tv and if you're not an f1 tv not to make a commercial out of it um if you don't know what it is, uh, it is obviously a way uh, to uh, 
watch the races. It's more advantageous in some places than others because maybe your local broadcaster has it. Maybe you're, you have Sky F1 and you live in the UK, so it's redundant, all that type of thing. But there is a bunch of cool stuff on it. The archive is pretty decent. Um, and the pit lane channel is uh, is one of the more interesting things um, to watch races on and a bit more analysis. Uh, and also, I like to I also like to re-watch races sometime and listen to their commentary as a sort of a fresh way to enjoy the race again um highlights and all that sort of stuff so um i have been a subscriber to it since it launched and i definitely got my money's worth out of it because i don't have tv hooked up here i'm all digital um uh, so yeah at least that's a bit of an update housekeeping update for everyone who does use it i did uh i checked in i think maybe brazil or maybe it was qatar weekend um on the pit lane channel and uh, alex jakes doesn't do it anymore which is a bummer. Yeah, they cycled. Uh, they had it back in. Uh, I I don't know what happened there because sometimes he'd be gone, um, mm-hmm. and they'd replace. Well, he's. Some I think he's doing there. Channel Four now. Oh, is he? Okay, okay. Yeah, that's Could a bit wrong. of a shame. He's. I really like him. He he did great in lowered formulas too as well. Yeah. Uh, should we take to some emails now? <laughs> Let's do it. Shift F one podcast at gmail.com or F one cool slash emails. Uh, this first one from. Uh, one of our patrons, I think, right? Vilshanks. Hello, mm-hmm. Vilshanks. What a crazy weekend, they say. And in high demand, uh, in a high damaging car type of crazy. I'm still relatively new to the sport, but this track seems awful for the engineers. When multiple drivers suffer damage to their cars due to the curbs, I feel something is wrong with the track. Teams lost a lot of time to try out this new track due to repair time, and I'm sure it also costs a lot of money. Multiple drivers had to retire in the race due to the puncture from the curbs. I'm glad this track isn't on the schedule next season, but it should be fixed for 2023. So my question is, could teams petition the FIA slash Qatar to change the track to reduce those curbs, or do they just need to deal with it? Um, yeah, so great question and something that come, came up a lot um, over the weekend, especially with folks who are maybe are a little bit uh, newer to the sport. Um, and I thought it'd be one that's fun for the three of us to talk about, because this does come up and it is an evolving type of uh, thing so one thing to first concern yourself with is the idea that not all tracks are built only for f1 cars that a lot of the times there are different racing disciplines on them which require certain types of setups um or perhaps there are weekend driver spot and that also has an impact on the finances and the logistics of the circuit and that also has an impact so that's why places like paul ricard for instance um have lots of runoff and don't have lots of high curbs because they don't want cars people with cars crashing all over the place and damaging their cars and having to do recovery and all that sort of stuff um danny to that point i've actually this was driving me nuts the entire weekend i know that this is sort of famously a cycling venue um wait cycling or motorcycle Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just to me, like curbs that are dramatic enough to just trash an F1 car, (laughs) my just it it would seem to me that that would actually make it more dangerous for motorbikes. But I'm curious, like, do they tend to have a different approach to like the way they build curbs for uh, like their venues? Because like I was looking at it's like, well, if this is bad for car. You know, they've got four wheels. <laughs> Guys right. on two wheels, this seems like it would be crazily dangerous. But I'm curious, like, if this is a if this is a, a thing we, you've seen uh, a little more at, like, uh, motorcycle venues. 
So I'm, I'm not an expert on MotoGP, and I'd love to have an email from somebody who, who is. My understanding is that the way in which motorbikes take corners is just very, very different. They don't tend to hit that part of the, the corner. They tend to, first of all, they don't take them as at high speed as, as the F1 cars do, and also they tend to brake earlier and then sort of turn to hit the apex so their exit they're not they're not they're not throwing okay. themselves into the apex at speed and then basically trying to wrestle the car onto the track you know what i mean yeah like so i so i don't think it becomes much of an issue i do wonder though because i was thinking that too and i was trying to imagine like um the difference though if i was on say a mountain bike or a bmx going over bumps right is that if you're on a mountain bike with like super gooey shocks then that type of thing doesn't really matter to you. You just kind of like, you know, your knees take it and you kind of over the top of it. Whereas if you're on a stiff rig, like a like a BMX or, you know, a fixie bike or something, obviously that's going to cause a lot of damage. And MotoGP bikes are fairly squishy at the front. So I, I, I don't know if that's another thing where they're able to take those because of that. But my understanding is looking at MotoGP races that it just isn't so much of an issue because they wouldn't be driving out that, way on the corner right okay um, but yeah but so again, you're not I'm gonna not have like an a, expert nobody on a bike is gonna be wrestling it back on on through that curb the way like the inside of a f1 tires clipping the raised curb i i gotcha yeah. yeah and the other thing i was actually worried about when i was thinking about this was that on, on motorbikes you have offs a lot so they have you know runoff areas and gravel like that's why you get a lot of gravel at places like this because you kind of want to slow drivers down a little bit um uh so you know without like also injuring them so yeah i'd I'd be interesting to hear if somebody who's a big motor gp fan wanted to let us know their um thoughts on this because that's a really good question and one that i think a lot of us were probably thinking of Um, but in relation to this like they do fix these like this does happen you know there are famous ones like the singapore sling for instance which was a chicane it was on the singapore street circuit which the car the f1 cars used to try and basically cut and if they missed up the cut would launch themselves into the air um which was eventually uh, eradicated a couple of i think two seasons of that was enough for them to go okay we'll we'll get rid of this interesting corner unfortunately but with a great name terrific name absolutely wonderful um and it is so yeah so this stuff does happen i I don't think that they do it after a year here because there was a lot of them trying to figure out the curbs. Um, because it's well, gone next year and it's back in 2023 and then it's gone again, right? I think this is I only... Thought, I thought it was gone next year and then uh, we were going to go to a different track. A different place? I can't, I can't remember <clears throat> if that right. new track was starting in 2024 or 23. So this though. may be a moot point. Yeah, so it might be. Yeah. I think mean, it's not clear because um, Brundle was saying that like they're not even sure... It's not like I guess is it not set in stone that they're going to race when the uh, World Cup is is running? So that's next year, which is why they're not doing it. Yeah. Okay. So 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 it's definitely not happening next year anywhere. And then and the then, theory is it's going to move to a street race. Uh, no, or it's something. a different track, right? Don't know. I thought. Um, yeah. So twenty twenty three, they're going to come back for the ten years. Uh, but I don't know if that's a new track or not. But yeah, even if it is for one year, I I don't suspect that they'll do anything different here. Um, In some tracks, it's just part of the the makeup of the weekend, is you have to battle. In the same way that some turns at tracks have runoff and some have gravel, and then that means that as a driver, you need to approach them differently because the risk-reward is a different thing. So 
Well, that's um, I, and that's the other thing I, w- I would raise is they've been trying to figure out like there's this track limits discourse that goes on constantly. Yeah. And if you don't have something to drivers will habitually exceed track limits and they don't like getting penalties for it. Like they get the, like there's frustration there. Um, one of the things you can actually do to create sort of an organic penalty for going off is you create a really dramatic curve that curb that unsettles the car and maybe like trashes components. Hmm. Um, and that is expensive, but the idea is, you know, I think, I think it's, if you're trying to say this, this track in these corners should have this character and people should be trying to stay in those lines and you're not gonna have a crash if you go outside of them, but like, you don't want to go outside of them because yeah. like there's some risk there. I think that's defensible. Like it, I'm, I'm sure teams don't like it. I'm sure engineers don't like it. But I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I think it's something we might actually see. If it, if it is like – if we see more tracks being fixed to like reduce these sort of uh, jagged curbs, it'll be because the teams complained and like sort of muscled the FIA. But I think it's a yeah. pretty valid approach to uh, like designing a track. And then finally, because we're running out of time here, I'll get to some of these next week. Uh, I want to read this one from Max, uh, who says, uh, Watching Haas this season got me thinking, uh, what's the worst season that constructors ever had in F1? I'm pretty sure plenty of constructors have finished with zero points, but what statistically is the worst season a constructor has ever had? And is Haas competing with that season? Uh, I was thinking about stuff like Crashgate, maybe, where you had teams completely losing their, you know, or, or like Force India. You know, there are teams who are, you know, crash out of the championship or, or or have something happen that's like so despicable that they can take them decades to recover um but i got this great i did some googling and i found this great uh response from a couple of years ago on the f1 uh um uh, subreddit from a terrific username by the way fart leviathan like fart <laughs> underscore leviathan uh with a with a great story about a team that i totally forgot about uh, life gp is the obvious answer they never made it to a single qualifying session let alone a race since you are new, I'll explain. There was, still is, a rule that no more than 30 cars could be present on Saturday. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, there were more teams, so they had to hold pre-qualifying on Friday morning for the worst teams to weed out some of the shittiest cars and some <laughs> unlucky people who on occasion would have uh, been fast enough to make it into the race otherwise. Life as a new team in 1990 had to be in pre-qualifying and only once did they beat another car, which happened when a, the similarly disastrous Coloni Subaru gearbox disintegrated on an outlap in the season opener. Very often, the Life wasn't even able to run one lap at speed before it broke down. So wow. there you go. Life, uh, life serial good, Life F1 team not so good. Jeez. You're saying life did not find a way. Life did not exactly. <laughs> All right, that's shift of one podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails if you'd like to send some to us. Uh, you can also hit us up and on Twitter. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Take me around the world. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Just two races going on this weekend. The Motocross Grand Prix of Asia is taking place in Indonesia. At, That's in Asia. Uh, Borobudur in central Java, Indonesia. And we've got Super GT at the Fuji Speedway located in the foothills of Mount Fuji, Oyama, wow. Sunto District, Shizuoka Prefecture. Ah. Oh. Thank you. I went weeks without a prefecture. (laughs) 
Well, it'll have to last you because I think that's the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's all winding down now. Um, and that's all we got. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course, with uh, Qatar. Or I'm sorry, with uh, the pre-show for Saudi Arabia. Uh, final thoughts on Qatar, Danny? Yeah. What? How crazy is this? There's so much, so much unknown, so much speculation going into the final two races, and the biggest question mark of all is this circuit. Like, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that it's going to be a character in this championship for good or ill. Yes. Final thoughts, Rob. Yeah, I really didn't think we would be coming to. Like, I really thought by a certain point in the season there would be sort of a momentum toward the championship, and we'd be like seeing one of these teams sort of cruise to the finish line. Um, really didn't think this would be the state of play with both championships up in the air uh, and, like, every position mattering. Uh, what a dream. Indeed. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Mm-hmm.